Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 72, and today we're talking about micronutrient deficiency, specifically three common ones that we see clinically very often, magnesium, vitamin C, and glutamine. This is Becky here with Allie. Hey, everyone. Now, when we talk about micronutrient deficiencies, in uh, we talk about this in some respect in just about every podcast, uh, but we wanted to today just hone in and, and focus in on nutrient deficiencies that can be drivers of many disease states, as well as some of the bothersome symptoms that are associated. Totally. So as we use food as medicine as the foundation of our treatment plans with clients, it's so important to be empowered and understand the role of micronutrients as how you can use them with food as medicine in an abundance approach and also identifying clinical patterns of nutrient deficiencies when you're trying to address the root cause of chronic symptoms. Often using micronutrient analysis, we can treat this as upstream medicine. So we can see a whole myriad of symptoms and understand one potential driver as the root cause. So focusing on those foods and temporary supplementation to get them above water can be a really turnkey solution for clinical outcomes. Yes, and it's so cool how all of these seemingly unrelated symptoms will tie back to like one or two totally. specific nutrient deficiencies. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah. So we talked way back, it was episode five you did on three other nutrient deficiencies and really honed in on how micronutrients get depleted in the first place. But I think because that was so long ago, we're due for <laughs> yeah. just a little bit of a refresher. 72, I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's get into, Ali, just briefly how micronutrient deficiency occurs in the first place, even if we are eating a real food, whole food diet, um, how this happens. Yeah, and I hear that all the time, honestly, because the fact that we are a cash-based practice and kind of a boutique functional food as medicine clinic by the time people come to us, it's you listeners of the podcast, it's people that are very proactive. And often people are saying, you know, I eat a paleo diet or I eat a whole foods based diet. How could I possibly be deficient in, in a micronutrient? You know, I'm eating all whole foods. And the first thing to come to terms with is that you might be experiencing increased demand. And so increased demand can be based on physiological or mental stress. So it could be, you know, the stress demand mentally from your work or from a social relationship. We know we burn through a lot of B vitamins, for instance, as cofactors to neurotransmitters. Um, and another thing with stress demand is we'll see things like serine becoming depleted because phosphatidylserine is a regulator of cortisol and maybe even vitamin C, which we're going to talk about today as a featured nutrient, which is one of the main regulators of cortisol as well. So there can be trends based on mental stress and then even physiological stress. So like my marathon runners, 
go through a lot of oxidative distress. You know, they're running, they're working with aerobic activity, especially marathon runners in big cities where they have a lot of pollution and inhalants that they're taking in. They're going to have a lot of depleted antioxidants and maybe even amino acids from muscle breakdown and not having ample tissue repair from injuries from exercise. So demand can be physiological and mental. And another physiological thing to consider for a lot of our listeners is life cycle change, like carrying a child, you know, yeah, being pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, breastfeeding for like a year after being pregnant, you know, that's a huge depletion or demand on your body as far as drivers of deficiency. So increased demand is the first thing that I like to look at when I'm looking at micronutrient deficiencies, because we always want to not only replete those deficiencies, but we want to understand the why it's occurring so we can address the root cause and correct that driver of deficiency. So another one to consider would be um, inadequate uh, absorption or utilization. So maybe we're not able to use or absorb. So absorb could be for individuals that have had their gallbladder removed and so they don't have that excess bile to help to emulsify and absorb fats, or it could be absorption based on someone that has a lot of gut damage. Maybe they have inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, or maybe they've been taking um, NSAID drugs like Aleve or Advil, and they have a lot of gut um, damage from those medications. Um, and then utilization can be beyond the absorption element, more of a metabolic or biochemical role. And that comes down to typically like genetic SNPs, like we talked about in the past couple episodes. I think it was episode 69 and 70, where we talked about, you know, methylation and some of those things. So you might get folic acid, but you won't be able to use that folic acid if you have MTHFR. You need, you know, the 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. So especially when we're talking about women that have increased demand when carrying a child, it's absolutely essential that the prenatals should be in their most user-friendly ability to use form, you know, which would be that methylated folate. Um, so absorption and utilization are the second tier to consider when we're talking about micronutrient deficiencies. And then another thing to consider is just inadequate intake. So inadequate intake can actually be seen in the health conscious community based on, you know, an elimination diet or a restrictive diet when they're dealing with inflammation or food plans that are very strategic for food sensitivity. And, you know, inadequate intake could be seen on the other end of the spectrum with people that are vegetarian or have spiritual restrictions of intake. And so if you're not consuming the foods that are rich in, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank nutrient, that would be definitely a driver for deficiency as well. Yes, absolutely. And then I think the last one to really hit on here um, would be medication related. So you mentioned maybe the NSAIDs um, causing some damage to the gut, but there are also medications that can actually drive deficiency as well. Absolutely. So there's a bunch of different classifications. One of my favorite to talk about is the statin drug family. So we, you know, most of those cholesterol lowering drugs, they block an enzyme in the body, HMOG, H. Oh, goodness. HMG-CoA reductase. Yeah. HMG-CoA <laughs> reductase. That's what happens. 
when we bump our recording later. Uh-huh. <laughs> HMG-CoA reductase. And that enzyme um, that blocks the production of cholesterol also blocks the production of a lot of steroidal building blocks. Um, and that can drive low vitamin D, but the most direct connection is low CoQ10. So we think of as, you know, CoQ10 being a necessary nutrient to take as a supplement for anyone that's on any statin drug, you know, so whether it's a generic like Simvastatin or name brand, Lipitor, Crestor, Zocor, you name it, CoQ10 would be a necessary supplement because that drug blocks the pathway. So taking that drug at bed means we need at least 100 to 200 milligrams of CoQ10 at that breakfast to help to compensate for that. We also think of other mitochondrial influencers, which influence CoQ10, which can be antidepressants. A lot of different families of classifications of antidepressants suppress CoQ10, as do um, hypoglycemic drugs like the diabetic drugs. Um, Things like metformin can drive low CoQ10 and low B12. So they can be energy depleting for our body and drive deficiencies in that sense. We see birth control as an overlooked one, but it drives a huge myriad, um, you know, from B vitamins, from B6 to folate to B12 and B3 and B1 and B2, magnesium, selenium, zinc, So we get a lot of deficiencies, and I think that when we're talking infertility, the epidemic of infertility in our country has a lot to do with the fact that birth control is not always acknowledged as hormone therapy first and foremost, you know, that it truly affects your hormones, and then B, it drives a lot of deficiency trends that support a healthy pregnancy and fertility. So that's something to definitely consider as well. Um, and then, you know, antibiotics are going to hit the whole microbiome and can deplete um, electrolytes. Uh, we know diuretic drugs that treat blood pressure can drive a lot of mineral deficiencies and trends. And um, then there's the antacids and proton pump inhibitor drugs, which drive deficiencies of things like B12 and folate, which is why we can see anemia in later age, advanced age, when they've been using those drugs for long periods of time. So just passive things like Tums and Pepsid over time as adjusting the stomach acid, adjust the ability to absorb the nutrients from the food. So we can see B12, folate, D, and then calcium, iron, and zinc. And so we can get a lot of nasty stuff from that, like osteopenia and, and osteoporosis and bone thinning and acute anxiety and panic from zinc deficiency. So definitely the drugs we're taking can block pathways and that can be in itself a reason for deficiency as well. Awesome. So lots of stuff to consider and absorb there. Um, so before we get into our specific micronutrients, let's just talk about when we're working with someone clinically, when we might use something like a micronutrient panel. I mean, I'd like to run that on just about everyone if I could once a year, but yeah, it's um, kind of my annual go-to if people can afford it. Um, and you know, without insurance, the panel I, I think is 390 with a 15 minute review. And so, yes, it is something to think about cost wise, but I love it as an annual assessment. It really looks at all too often we hear from patients. My doctor runs all these labs and it's like, a comp and a CBC, <laughs> TSH, and everything's method. normal. I'm so healthy. And then yeah. they run serum, vitamin D, maybe. And we'll talk about later why that's not even the best indicator. Right. 
And then the patient's hair is falling out and they're anxious and they're dealing with insomnia and stubborn metabolism. And it all comes down to potentially being corrected with zinc or something, you know, so it's, it's really helpful. So yes, I love this as an annual assessment. Um, I love to run this for individuals that are dealing with inflammation because nutrients play a huge role with inflammatory processes. I love to run this with individuals that are dealing with infertility. So I alluded to how that can play such a big role with um, healthy follicular health and uterine health and hormonal balance. Um, I definitely like to run this with all forms of dysmetabolic syndrome. So whether we're talking about heart disease or diabetes, um, and then the GI population, like I said, because a lot of those drugs are pretty nasty on blocking absorption of nutrients and a lot of GI conditions, you know, that's our primary base <laughs> to absorb nutrients. And so if we have GI inflammation, regardless of drug use, as far as prescription drugs, we're still going to have an ability to absorb. So, so GI and within that would be food sensitivities And um, then people who are dealing with kind of what I call zebra conditions. So beyond like our neurological family of um, looking at things like Parkinson's and MS, love to run it on that. And then even our um, bone and joint conditions. I like to look at even things like chronic fatigue and just healthy aging and transitioning again, because we can treat before a symptom arises, which is so cool. So when we're looking at a patient's lab results, we often see, you know, three of the 10 symptoms being expressed. And then there's some that might be just before the iceberg peaks of preceding the expression of that symptom, you know, so we can get ahead of the curve before the body shows that deficiency. Yes. I think that's just so amazing and empowering to hear for sure. Um, and, um, before let's, let's, um, talk about actually our specific, let's get into our focus for today. So our three nutrients that we're talking about. Right. So we're not going to talk about all of them. <laughs> we're not talking about all of them. That'll take forever, but we do promise to do another future episode and keep these, yeah. up if you guys like them. Um, so let us know for sure um, in your reviews and comments. But today we're going to focus, like I said, on magnesium, vitamin C, and glutamine. And for each of these, we'll get into the function of each nutrient in the body symptoms and disease states that are associated with deficiency, reasons they can be depleted in the first place. And then we'll talk about repletion suggestions in terms of some really yummy recipes and foods to focus on, as well as supplement recommendations if you are experiencing a bunch of these symptoms of deficiency. Absolutely. So I think this is the time to like put your seatbelt on, grab a notepad if you need to. (laughs) You might be getting a little bit nerdy. Get ready to push pause if you have to. (laughs) And I'm hoping that a lot of you while listening will have a aha moment or a this is me and that this gives you a lot of tools in your tool belt to replete or get above water from a deficiency trend that you may be experiencing. Awesome. So starting with magnesium, Allie, because I think this is probably the most common deficiency that we see clinically. Um, Let's start with talking about its function in the body. So it has so many functions. It's over, I believe, 300 different enzymes uh, that it plays a role with activation. So 
Its functions are essential to the body as far as neuromuscular activity. We think of magnesium uh, deficiency causing things like tremors or tension. So it helps with neuromuscular relaxation, which can even influence us on the level of blood pressure, like vascular tension and dilation or release. It plays a huge role with our membrane transport and interactions both intra and extracellularly. Uh, it plays a great role with energy metabolism. So the way that our body processes sugar as far as it helps with uh, the insulin function of the body and it helps with blood flow, which can help with dysglycemia or blood sugar imbalance. And it definitely has roles in balance with calcium as far as firing for contraction and relaxation of muscles and um, plays a big role with bone health as well. Um, and we think of this, what's so interesting is I when I started, you know, my research for the anti-anxiety diet, I knew magnesium was a big one that we think of with stress, like again, because of muscle tension was the big thing I would think of. And um, I didn't know that it had really a direct role with cortisol regulation in the body and that it has mechanisms with uh, sleep and other metabolic processes that can really play a role on imbalanced symptoms when stress depletes the magnesium in the first place. So it's one of my big go-tos to help with both mental and physiological relaxation. Yeah. And then there's so many other uh, conditions or disease states that can be helped by um, just giving magnesium. So let's cover a couple of the main ones. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I think anxiety is one to definitely mention. Um, and there's been a lot of research studies on magnesium as a supplement and helping with hyperreactivity and um, also irritability and tension. And so it's definitely one to think of for, again, mood stabilizing effects. And with the same sense, it can be an influencer with children for ADHD. It's a very safe supplement to use that also supports, as I mentioned, you know, metabolic function, growth, bone health, um, blood sugar metabolism. And so it's a really great go-to for anxiety and ADHD. And unfortunately, you know, that's hitting now upwards of like 30% of our pediatric population. So a really good one to think of for kiddos that are having difficulty winding down. Um, and then, you know, beyond the mental health focus, we're even seeing things like, um, anything that has constriction. So if we're talking about cold extremities to asthma, um, so magnesium can help with relaxation of our bronchial smooth tissue in our body, our smooth muscle, and it helps to block histamine reactivity in our body. Um, it also plays, like I mentioned, a big role with blood sugar metabolism and um, can play a role with hormone balance. So it actually plays a role with our estrogen metabolism and can remove or reduce the more toxic forms of estrogen in the body. So it plays a big role there. And then when we think of menstruating women, it plays a role with our contraction with shedding the uterine lining. So high dose magnesium can be very supportive for women that deal with very distressing cramps um, during their menstruation or um, you know discomfort, whether it's in the lower back or in the ovarian area. Um, it can actually, although it's so relaxing, it can be used to help with fatigue. So we see it being a big tool with chronic fatigue syndrome, 
probably because of the mechanisms in cortisol regulation, but it also helps with direct energy production. So our ATP energy um, storage uh, uses magnesium in its, in its source. And then another thing I think of is headaches. So when we're talking about intracranial inflammation or, you know, uh, tension in the brain, it's that same mechanism, just like it helps with the asthma, just like it helps with the trapezoid tension in the neuromuscular area or helps to relax you from clenching your jaw. Same sense as a headache uh, regulator. So I love using magnesium and I'm sure we'll talk in a moment at best form and best practice, but that's one of my go-tos or first line of defense for headaches. Uh, blood pressure, stress, anxiety, those are kind of the big ones that I, that I think of. And then, like I said, dysmetabolic syndrome is something worth mentioning as well. Awesome. And then I think we talked previously about its role in sleep and insomnia too. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. So that's mm-hmm. a big one as well. Um, what about just kind of generalized symptoms to look for that might tip us off that someone is dealing with magnesium deficiency? So um, big ones that we think of connecting to the main conditions, so heart arrhythmias, so palpitations or arrhythmias in cardiovascular system or spasms with the heart rate. Uh, We can also see cramps, muscle cramps. We can see seizures. Um, So really, really from severe tension and spasms um, to even cramps in the body and Tingling and numbness, so forms of neuropathy can be exacerbated with magnesium deficiency. Overall fatigue, there can even be nausea and vomiting with severe cases because it can play a role with our electrolyte stability um, and then even to levels of changes in appetite. But I think that insomnia and a generalized distress are are two of my main go-tos. And then I tie that with especially if there is like restless leg syndrome, you know, or overreactive tense muscles, that to me is definitely going for magnesium. Awesome. Um, And then let's talk about main food sources. So where can we find magnesium um, the most concentrated in the diet? So leafy greens are one of the number one sources that we would look to. And then um, if if my next kind of top five, I suppose, dark chocolate would be one of my favorites. That's why I always say that you get a prescription for 80% or greater cacao when you're cycling women. Oh, yeah. Your body (laughs) knows it needs that, right? helps, yes. And it helps with serotonin too. So it helps you from being cranky. But yeah, no, it it really does um, help on a neuromuscular level with the cramps. Um, We think of pepitas or pumpkin seeds and sesame seeds as great sources. It is also bioavailable in um, animal products. So from pasture-raised chicken to ground beef to salmon and wild-caught fish like halibut, magnesium is going to be a really rich source there. And then, you know, nuts and seeds and greens are really the big other kind of area that I look up for focus. Okay, so yummy things. Let's bring it together with a couple of uh, recipes that we can give our listeners resources for. Sure. So one that's on the blog as of kind of recent is the green smoothie bowl. So we're going to be getting in a lot of antioxidants in there and then definitely the leafy greens as a base. And is there nut butter in there too, Becky? Mm, I think it's more coconut milk Based, okay. if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. Um, but we could sprinkle certain. Oh, but there's nuts. like Brazil nuts and chia seeds on there. On top. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So you're definitely getting that kind of double, double dip hit. 
And then um, the tomato burrata salad that we just put up for our aphrodisiac um, focus for Valentine's Day last week uh, that has the pumpkin seed pesto, which would be a great magnesium-rich uh, source there. And then the avocado chocolate mousse, which was also on the menu for V-Day, <laughs> if you have that left in your fridge. Of course, you're getting the cacao in 100%, so you're getting all of the antioxidants and the magnesium there. And then the avocado gives you a decent amount, as does dates. Awesome. Um, and then all sounds really yummy, and we'll make sure we link to all of those in the show notes. For uh, sure. Let's, let's talk about supplementation and forms, because this I see so often. Definitely. With, clients coming in taking, you know, they put themselves on mag oxide or citrate and they're wondering why it's not working or why it's actually driving like adverse GI symptoms. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, all of the symptoms that we talked about, like from restless leg to insomnia, to anxiety, to blood sugar dysregulation, all of those symptoms of magnesium deficiency can really only be corrected with magnesium bisglycinate or magnesium glycinate. Um, and so the other forms, which are more focusing on the osmotic role of the colon, and um, so for instance, mag citrate, magnesium citrate, or you know, milk of magnesia, um, these play a big role as a stool softener. So they bring water into the colon, which helps with bowel you know, passing if you had constipation from dehydration in the colon based on imbalance of electrolytes or based on magnesium deficiency. So those supplements do work as stool softeners. So if we're talking about like working with someone that's dealing with chemotherapy drugs or, or how high dose opioids and they're dealing with chronic constipation, they might use those as a tool. But even for those individuals, the first line of defense would be the magnesium bisglycinate or magnesium glycinate. Um, and this is the one that is more bioavailable on an intracellular level. So this can actually be used as the cells to fuel the mitochondria, to help with chronic fatigue syndrome, to play a role with blood sugar regulation and really influence the neuromuscular system and the stress HPA access to reduce that excitatory signaling in the body. So bar none, the mag glycinate is the best form. And our relax and regulate formula is, I think, one of our top three bestseller supplements. Oh, definitely. Because yep. I've, I've had people literally say to me, if my individual session was worth anything, the, the referral for relax and regulate made it all worth it. And it's so, you know, I mean, I think they learned other things, I hope. I would think so. <laughs> or ego, but you know, no, truly, I think, I think, yes. But you know, I think that that's been a really remarkable uh, formula and I've personally been using for over five years and um, it is a white powder. It does have a natural sweetness to it because the relax and regulate has two bioactive ingredients. It has the magnesium bisglycinate, which is the most bioavailable form. And then it also has myo-inositol. And myo-inositol plays a significant role also as a cousin to the B vitamin family with regulating and balancing out hormones, reducing stress response, and supporting neurological health. So it helps with the myelination or the protective coating of our nerves. And the relax and regulate 
can not only help with you relaxing as far as depth of sleep and getting that neuromuscular relaxation from tension and stress, but we do have the word regulate on there when we decided on a name because it helps with motility of the bowels as far as people that deal with constipation with the root cause being clenching in that enteric nervous system. So, so many people actually that have chronic constipation, it's not necessarily due to dehydration or electrolyte imbalance, which is so easy to correct with diet and lifestyle. Um, it's typically due to distress and that individual clenching and having some form of gastroparesis or not having enough neurological passive signals in a rest and digest state of that parasympathetic nervous system to promote bowel regulation and bowel motility, to move the content down the GI tract. Awesome. So yeah, we're big fans of this supplement. I know Allie and I both take it on a regular basis, um, and I'll make sure we link to that in our show notes as well. So before we go into the next micronutrient, vitamin C, let's just have a quick word from our sponsor. So Health IQ is a life insurance agency that provides savings for health conscious individuals. And I know this is something on my list. I'm turning 30 this year and I feel like it's just part of adulting, you know, once you start thinking about a family to actually get life insurance. <laughs> right? It's a little bump up um, daunting, but I think yeah. it's definitely preparing for the future. And we are, we're so happy to share that this Naturally Nourished podcast episode is sponsored by Health IQ. And they're an insurance company that helps you listeners who are mindful and proactive about your wellness get lower rates on your life insurance. So you can go to healthiq.com backslash Allie Miller RD to support, the, to check out the show notes and um, see if you qualify. So Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health conscious people. In fact, 56% of Health IQ customers save between four and 33% on their life insurance. We are excited to share them as an opportunity for you all to return on your investment to your well care. Health IQ can save our customers up to 33% because physically active people like you guys have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to those who are inactive. So you guys are already winning because you're feeling fabulous and not dying <laughs> <laughs> and having lower disease risk, but you're also going to get the return on investment because the work that you put into your body is going to save you money. So to see if you qualify and get your free quote today, go over to healthiq.com backslash Allie Miller RD and or mention the promo code Allie Miller RD when you talk to a health IQ agent. Awesome. So next up, let's talk about vitamin C. So obviously this one's really well known for its role in immune function. And we might think of like scurvy as kind of the yeah. epitome of deficiency. Well, yeah. Let's, let's talk about why this is important. And, and I think deficiency is more common than we realize. Oh yeah. Well, honestly, it's funny. And I mean, it's like, yeah, scurvy, ha ha ha. But that was the start of the actual, I think, association of a nutrient treating a disease. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the first really big, heavy hits. And I remember when I was at Bastyr University and I was at a class 
called, I think it was called Functional Medicine for the Nutrition Practitioner. Uh, Dr. Jeff Bland came and talked about the Linus Pauling Institute, and he used the word orthomolecular therapies and talked about high dose vitamin C. And, and that was like the first time, I mean, even being at a progressive naturopathic school of medicine as best year, a lot of my professors were not talking about mega dose anything. It was still following, you know, the RDAs and understanding, um, you know, the function of nutrients and the function of the body. But it was really like enlightening to me to be like, wait, 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 what? You can use high doses of a nutrient to combat chronic illness. And it, it just like, I mean, I, I think my brain dripped from the table. <laughs> I was like, this is what I need to figure out more of. And I think that kind of created the foundation of my practice. So yes, vitamin C has so many different functions in the body. Um, also, you know, looking at the influence from asthma all the way down to testosterone from A through almost Z. <laughs> and um, it does play a role in relaxation in the body as well. So if we're talking about the role with histamine and cortisol, um, it does inhibit histamine-induced um, constriction in the body. So whether we're talking about from rashing to things like asthma, um, it's used in the production of epinephrine. So it does play a role with the adrenal glands. In fact, the most concentrated area of storage of vitamin C is those tiny little adrenal glands that sit above our kidneys. And vitamin C is used as a um, regulator within cortisol production. It is needed in demand when cortisol is, is manufactured in those adrenal glands. So it plays a big role with our adrenaline and our cortisol output, which plays a huge role with inflammation in the body and also our immune system function. Um, so that, that's a whole wide spectrum on its own. Um, we do know that also it can help with LDL oxidation. So when we're talking about heart health and we're talking about nasty things like um, LP little a, which is a you know, functional medicine marker that a lot of people say is just genetic and there's nothing that diet can quote unquote do about it. Um, high dose vitamin C, you know, speaking in high dose, like two to five grams of vitamin C, um, can really help with not only the oxidative damage of LDLs, which creates the plaque formation in the first place, but high dose vitamin C can also help with lowering that LP little a, which is the stickiness factor of the blood. So that's what drives stroke. Um, and that's what would drive the atherosclerotic plaque as well. And it helps with regulating white blood cells, which plays a big role with creating the foam cells that precede the plaque in the arteries. And it's the same kind of preliminary mechanism of how vitamin C helps on a immunological level and, and regulating the immune system. It also helps with inflammation. So systemically, it supports cortisol, which has the natural anti-inflammatory support, but it also um, is, has been shown in studies to be inversely related with C-reactive protein, which is our main marker for systemic inflammation. And I kind of think of it as like the little baby um, of the antioxidant spectrum, but you know, with glutathione being like the master antioxidant. So it does help to increase glutathione, which then in turn helps with things like cancer, um, also toxicity, free radical overload, so advanced or accelerated aging, and all of the things that come with toxic exposure or sluggish detox pathways. 
Awesome. So, so much beyond just immune function, how we might typically think of it. Um, let's talk about a couple of the symptoms of deficiency that are quite common. Yeah. So some that we don't connect. So one would be, um, you know, susceptibility um, or a poor immune function. So if you're someone that's always getting sick, like, you know, a coworker is sick and you are guaranteed going to come down with it, probably you should be supplementing with some good quality vitamin C. And um, that's the first thing we think of, like you said, Becky. And then other things that aren't as commonly considered are actual oral health plays a huge role because vitamin C plays such a role with our white blood cell function and our immunological function. We know that periodontal disease is so connected with our immune system. And also, of course, now we know that that's connected with our cardiovascular system. So uh, symptoms that we can think of would be like oral disease, receding gums, tooth decay, all can be tied to vitamin C deficiency, um, even to the level of like um, iron regulation in the body and um, platelet regulation and um, petechiae is a symptom, for instance, with like the red dots which is a symptom of iron deficiency and uh, vitamin C can help with regulating that. We can see mood imbalances more uh, prone towards depression with vitamin C deficiency. And then there can also be some neuromuscular influences. So muscle cramps and spasms can be another sign of uh, vitamin C deficiency. Okay. And then food wise, I mean, I'm sure people already know about citrus as a good source, but what are some other sources to look at? So uh, bell peppers are a fantastic form and by weight actually have more vitamin C than citrus. You know, so citrus would be our uh, lemon, limes, uh, oranges, tangerines, and all of the fun stuff in between. So, um, you know, like blood oranges and all the heirloom varieties of of awesome citrus that's available. Uh, We look at berries as well. So bell peppers, like colored bell peppers, like red bell pepper, orange bell pepper, yellow, those are all fantastic sources of vitamin C that are lower carbohydrate. Berries, also a very low glycemic fruit option that are very vitamin C rich. We see a lot of vitamin C in our tropical fruits. So like mango, papaya, pineapple, all of those are going to be fantastic sources. And then there's some herbs as well. So kamu kamu is a big one. It's a shrub uh, that you can get as a powder superfood. I like to add that into smoothies or shakes or um, even in fat bombs. And then rose hips can work similarly. I've done uh, rose hip chocolate bars and things like that as far as playing rose hip tea. Those are really fantastic options. And then you do get some vitamin C from pretty much all produce. That is one of the nutrients that arguably for those naysayers of organics, um, they do acknowledge that vitamin C content is higher in produce that is organically grown. Um, and so that would be a push for, you know, all of your vegetable choices, if they're locally grown or organically produced, they're going to have a nice push of vitamin C. And the last one I'll mention, that's kind of an, uh, maybe ugly stepchild or unthought of, uh, <laughs> food is kiwi. Um, I love giving that to Stella. I've been doing that a lot throughout the winter. Um, I just did a post on, uh, Instagram about the cuties. It wasn't that brand, but those little, are they tangerines? Becky? Oh yeah. The little, um, Clementines. 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 Yep. I saw yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. How they were treated with an antifungal. And I mean, that makes perfect sense because citrus molds. Um, <laughs> and it was actually purchased for us by my in-laws over Christmas. And 
we're sitting here almost towards the end of February and I'm like looking at it in the bowl on my island and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't look earlier, but Stella wasn't eating them. She was eating the organic ones and she just stopped eating these. And it's like, that's amazing. I yeah. mean, that's really cool. But yeah, I read the, the label of the bag and it said that it was treated with one of three anti-mold agents. And I mean, that definitely penetrates through the skin. And so uh, one to really be mindful of when we're looking for vitamin C rich foods, we really want to choose organic um, for, for so many reasons, but that's also what's going to produce the most vitamin C out there. And um, kiwis can be a really fun one for kids to think about even throwing in their lunch and the thin skin kiwis, they can even eat like an apple. Awesome. I love that. I never knew you could eat the skin until you told me that in the past year. Um, yeah. And I love, I love like cutting them in half and just eating with a spoon, mm -hmm. uh, like putting it in a freezer for like 20 minutes. And even in keto, I can get a half a kiwi and like those two bites. I think I calculated it's four grams of carbs and oh, it's yeah. like so amazing. <laughs> Awesome. Love that. Um, now what about some meals and snacks to bring this one together? So some good vitamin C rich. Yeah. So, um, our adrenal rehab shake is fantastic. It, um, uses the pith of the lemon. So you peel the lemon and put the whole lemon in the shake. And, um, there, that compound is called Noblin. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but Noblin or Noblin. And, um, it's been shown in research to have really awesome anti-inflammatory properties. And you get a lot more bioflavonoids when you keep that white furry fiber intact, really potent in vitamin C. And I think that recipe even adds some buffered vitamin C powder and definitely yep. renal gummies do for sure. And then um, one that's a fantastic dreamy recipe is the grain-free lemon bars. Um, I've brought those to a bunch of different gatherings and they're a really nice mouthfeel and a really nice, um, texture and creamy delivery of an indulgence. So delicious. I love that recipe. Um, we'll definitely link to that for you guys. And then what about, um, just general supplementation recommendations? Yeah. So if you're dealing with, you know, my first go-to would be to like use that Kamu Kamu or rose hips and blend that into things because I always try to use whole foods first. Whereas like the magnesium, I would definitely lead with, if anything, the relax and regulate mag glycinate um, as a bigger driver of supplement need. I think vitamin C is quite ubiquitous and you can get a lot of those superfoods, um, even like acai bags and things like that. Um, but if you're looking for supplemental support and if you're dealing with some of those significant symptoms, I like to look for a buffered form of vitamin C. So you want to make sure it's buffered so that you don't get bowel irritation once you dose above one and a half grams. Otherwise, most vitamin C forms, like especially if it's just ascorbic acid, you're going to get diarrhea if you go above 1.5 grams. So if we're looking to get a three or a five gram dose, you want to look for a buffered and we'll put in the show notes. One that I use often in practice is a buffered vitamin C powder from thorn and um, it can go into shakes. It can be mixed with water and it especially can be taken, you know, pre and post travel as a great way to support the immune system. Oh yeah. Yes, yes. And it's in those adrenal gummies that Allie mentioned too, which is a really fun vitamin C rich recipe. I'll link to that one as well. Um, and you know, our, um, we just put them on the blog too. The elderberry gummies. Oh, are yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got orange and lemon in them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So I will link to that as well. So you guys have all the resources to get your vitamin C. Yes. Uh, so last nutrient here, let's talk about one that's probably not as 
talked about or as well known. Um, we're talking about glutamine. So this plays a big role in gut health, I know, but let's talk about its other functions. Yeah. So often actually when people talk to me about um, muscle aches, and sugar cravings, I go right to glutamine, especially if they have any history of food sensitivity. So um, glutamine is used for energy. It's used, it is an amino acid. So it's used as a building block in the body and it can help to create glutathione, which supports detox in the body. And again, glutathione being that master antioxidant. So glutamine can actually drive glutathione production um, it also supports mus muscle function. Um, so like I said, depletion can drive uh, sore muscles. It plays a big role in our gut cells. So it is a fuel source and a building block to our enterocytes, which, which is the fancy geeky term for gut cells. Um, and so our enterocytes or gut cells are fed by glutamine. Glutamine is their best fuel source and they build from glutamine. Um, so if we're talking about leaky gut or gut lining damage, glutamine is your best friend as far as repairing and coating and soothing the GI lining. Um, and so especially anyone that's taking like meloxicam or Celebrex or prescription NSAIDs or even just taking a leave once a day, you know, or Advil, um, those drugs can be quite harmful and irritating to the gut lining. And I definitely recommend all of those individuals to be using our GI lining powder to coat and soothe and compensate for that wear and tear. Um, and then, as I said, in, in conditions of inflammatory bowel disease, glutamine is one of our first lines of defense. And the use of that formula is when the GI docs say like, okay, so this scope looks remarkable. It looks like my ulcerative colitis or Crohn's patient doesn't have the condition. What did you do with them? And, you know, we probably did the MRT inflammatory food test and some form of, of an elimination diet and maybe even paired with a specific carbohydrate diet. Um, but it's the GI lining powder and probiotics, but the GI lining powder really helps to repair gut lining. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. So that's the big home run for glutamine for sure. And then, like I said, it does play a role with our blood sugar regulation and blood sugar cravings and addictive impulsive activity is tied to glutamine depletion. So um, L-glutamine has been used in recovery and rehab centers actually to be taken sublingually, like just direct scoop under the tongue to help with um, cravings and impulse activity. Yes, I love that. So that's a tool that um, we tell clients to use all the time is like if we're dealing with a significant out-of-body sugar craving that just we can't get a handle on, um, we'll do the glutamine under the tongue trick as well. Yep, for sure, for sure. Okay, so what about some of the other disease states and conditions uh, beyond just gut health that glutamine can assist with? So the, the mechanism in which, one of the mechanisms in which it can help with sugar cravings and addictive tendencies is in the ability to support the production of GABA. So GABA is our neurotransmitter that is very calming and affects our mood as far as supporting focus, relaxing the brain, reducing hyperactivity. So glutamine can be a tool for ADHD as well as autism and anxiety for those reasons. So it can really be a calming compound. Um, and then when we're looking at the influence with 
fatigue, uh, this can be again driven. We see a big deficiency where um, low glutamine stores can drive muscle damage and supplementation with glutamine can support insulin sensitivity so it can increase our uh, energy levels or our utilization of fuel, uh, bringing that fuel intracellularly and reducing the demand for insulin, so thus reducing the inflammation in the body. Um, it also, one of the mechanisms beyond insulin sensitivity is that it plays a role with the hormone GLP-1. So as a diabetic regulating compound, it can improve the signaling and the sensitivity for insulin. And it, it's good to mention that because uh, some people misconceive glutamine as being glycolytic or causing blood sugar release. And um, we'll speak to that with some other myths on glutamine, but I think it's just important to address. I've really scoured all the research on there and it can have short-term influence of hyperglycemia, but it tends to over long-term, even in the timestamp of two weeks onwards, regulate and reduce blood sugar levels. So it can help with fatigue. It can help with diabetes. Um, we talked about, I think, seeing its praises for gastrointestinal health. So from food sensitivities and things like celiac disease to Crohn's and ulcerative colitis and even heartburn and reflux. When we're talking about that rawness um, and that even acidity, it can protect and coat from the upper down to the lower GI tract. Um, it does have anti-inflammatory mechanisms. So we talked about the role with glutathione, the grand, the kind of grandmaster antioxidant, um, but but glutamine has also been shown to reduce cytokines, which are inflammatory chemicals, kind of the army of defenders of inflammation in the body, and, and glutamine can reduce the inflammatory signals in the body. And then, you know, I think I mentioned the sore muscle thing, but there's been a lot of studies looking at with both weight management and sports nutrition, the fact that um, glutamine supplementation can help with reducing immune distress post excessive stress response. And we have seen in, in some of my studies and work I've been doing for the anti-anxiety diet as well, glutamine tends to get depleted from mental stress and physical stress. So again, our people that are our CrossFitters, our marathon runners, our high output exercisers, and then even our mental stressors, they're all set up for higher glutamine depletion. And, you know, that can be why we say stressed spells desserts backwards as one of its mechanisms, maybe, or that can be why people that are under high stress feel so fatigued as well. Awesome. And then what about other just general symptoms of deficiency beyond food sensitivities and the muscle soreness? So I think the only one I really didn't hit um, is the immune influence. So like I said, inflammatory, mood, cravings, all of the things, blood sugar. Um, but the only one I didn't hit that I would mention in addition is um, also immune function. So we can see delayed wound healing and compromised immune system function. And it can also be trended to be deficient beyond the stress demand in vegetarians because again, glutamine is an amino acid. So when we're talking food sources, bone broth is one of the best ones to get your glutamine levels back up. Yeah. And, and those foods too, um, we've got a whole list that we'll go through with you guys. But um, I think one of the reasons that we might see more or increased glutamine deficiency these days is because people don't eat 
you know, traditional foods like stuff with a lot of collagen and gelatin and kind of those cuts of meats. But what are some of the, um, the sources that we can find glutamine in? Yeah. So a couple of things that we think of in, um, so all proteins, like we said, so, and, and like Becky said, the traditional forms, like, um, the gelatinized cuts that are put in the slow cooker and, and broken down versus like the chicken breast and the ground meat. <laughs> Those are going to have, when they have more collagen and gelatin, higher amounts of the L-glutamine, which is great. Um, so bone broth itself and then varied cuts of clean proteins is a great way to start. Um, we also see glutamine as a uh, rich food in cabbage. So slaws, krauts are great things to focus on there. We can see glutamine in a lot of the umami flavor profiled foods. So things like sun-dried tomatoes, mushrooms are really fantastic options there. And then our grass-fed whey protein, be that it is you know, comprised of complete amino acids, has a good amount of glutamine as well as all of the um, amino acids um, intact and also in, including immunological compounds and um, antioxidants like glutathione intact in there. And so grass-fed whey that's non-denatured, like the naturally nourished grass-fed whey would be something to consider as well. Awesome. And then I'm also thinking like vital proteins, collagen, and gelatin would be a good prescription too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and we're making homemade bone broth. For yes. Sure. Yep. Yep. <laughs> we'll put a link to that for sure. Our bone broth and um, in our naturally nourished cookbook, we do bone broth three ways. Um, we have an awesome uh, bone broth soup with tomatoes and basil, a really simple tomato basil oh, yeah. soup that you can that's make in the blender. And that's got extra glutamine because of the tomatoes and the bone broth. And then along those lines, the pan seared chicken with tomato jam, which is also in the naturally nourished cookbook. Um, that uses the bone in skin on chicken breast and not the white cut away breast and the tomato jam. So you simmer down and reduce the tomatoes until they pop and add balsamic and caramelize and it's just yummy amazingness. And um, that's a really great glutamine supporter. That's one of my favorite recipes and it's so, so simple. And so fun, good. fun for yeah. gatherings for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then let's talk about supplementation and what you would recommend. Sure. So um, when we're talking about supplements, like I said, I, I think I mentioned it earlier and it would be the um, GI lining powder of ours would be the, the best option out there for a couple of reasons. One is that it's giving you over two grams of L-glutamine, which is going to replete deficiency trends, but it delivers it in the presence of um, also aloe vera and DGL. So aloe vera gives us this oopy goopy mucilaginous <laughs> coating and delivery that just like if you've used aloe after a sunburn topically, it is very anti-inflammatory and very goopy. That's the best way I can say it. So it slowly delivers the glutamine along to the enterocytes or the gut cells that are just hungry to eat it up. And then um, the DGL in there helps to repair ulcerations or actual, actual tissue damage. So it is called GI lining powder for that reason that it's targeted in repairing leaky gut. And I will say probably every one of you listening has some level of leaky gut, um, you know, whether it's been diagnosed or not. 
all of us are at risk for it because of the consumption of things like chlorine in our tap water and so many things that work on distressing our gut, including mental stress. So the GI lining powder is my favorite recommendation. And the nice thing is the DGL in there, the deglycerized licorice, it provides a natural sweetness to it. So it can really help with the sugar cravings delivery and help to support metabolic balance in the body. So it has a really nice flavor profile. I actually just put the scoop right um, under my tongue at bed and then just follow with water. Um, and it's kind of my ritual. And I actually blend my relax and regulate with my GI lining powder at bed. Um, and that's just my evening ritual before I take my probiotics. Sounds like we have the same evening ritual. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now, I do want to address something we spoke to a little bit earlier um, in terms of using glutamine in. Well, I guess we didn't mention cancer care, but we mentioned propensity to um, feed things in the body or that it might um, have a, an influence like glucose. Um, but let's talk about glutamine and cancer care. There's a lot of misinformation out there, a lot of controversy on whether glutamine can drive cancer cell growth. So is this true? What are, you, what are your thoughts on this? Yes. So one big thing, I just sneezed, maybe I need some vitamin Bless C. Bless you. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, I'll acknowledge that. Um, so yeah, so um, I, for a while, even honestly, when I first, uh, again, kind of, I, I, I dove into orthomolecular and the use of nutritional supplements for management of symptoms and disease states back in 2008. And um, when I first learned about glutamine, it was predominantly focused on inflammatory bowel disease, you know, and that was, I think, before, in my awareness, before the term leaky gut was coined, you know, we, we had talked about intestinal enteropathy, which is still the medical jargon for leaky gut, but that was before leaky gut was leaky gut, you know, um, and so I knew about it as a tool for sure for intestinal health and gut health and immunological health. But there were some studies, like I mentioned, with the blood sugar confusion that showed that glutamine can be metabolized into glucose, which is true. Glutamine can be metabolized into a couple different things. Um, it can be metabolized into blood sugar. It can be metabolized into GABA, as I mentioned, which is that neuroinhibitory relaxing compound. And it can be metabolized into glucosamine to help with joint function. It can be metabolized into glutathione to help as an antioxidant. So, you know, it can be very choose your own adventure, but the focus on it converting into glucose uh, drove a lot of concern in research that was done with rats on cancer cells in super, super high dose, which is done all the time to freak people out. And I just am saying this now because I've had patients recently email me about, have you heard of Becky the asparagus study? Oh yeah. 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 I saw that too. So I'm just saying this to be timely and I'm going to, I'm going to deter a little bit and then we'll talk about the glutamine cancer thing. But that study, it was done on asparginine, which is an amino acid that is yes, naturally occurring in asparagus and all proteins because it's an amino acid. Um, and the study was done on isolated cancer cells and high, high, high dose uh, asparginine in an isolated form. Um, and so it, it's 
if you if you if you are provoking cancer cells specifically with a compound that can be anabolic or growth promoting you're probably going to see growth of cancer <laughs> i mean that's what you're doing and it, it is an ex, it is an exogenous not endogenous meaning outside of the body study and it's done on animals so it's just there's so many variables that cannot translate to use as a supplement as a tool or use of a food compound as a tool to support the body and it's um, frustrating because I think it, it's really funded often by pharmaceutical industries a lot of these studies to, to create a fear um, of people using supplements as tools to, to get them feeling better and to get them not relying on pharmaceutical drugs in uh, treatment protocols. So that's my two cents on that is when we're looking at a study and they're isolating cancer cells and they're feeding cancer cells with something that promotes growth and they're not putting it in the body and allowing it to transfer through the gut, through the liver and, and biochemically do its ping pong effect to become what it wants to become. Yeah. You're going to see drama. So that's my two cents. I love that. <laughs> did I did I harp enough? Am I there? Okay. No, okay. I so, think you got it. <laughs> okay. So so yes. So that's my thing with the research that looks at glutamine and cancer. Same type of thing. You know, like I said with the sore muscles, um, if something is depleted, glutamine can help to fuel it. But glutamine can also, um, you know, there are there were over 20 studies as far back as 1990 that looked at the benefits of glutamine as an adjuvant in cancer treatment and um, saw that there was beneficial outcomes uh, with pairing chemo and cancer process and that it prevented the side effects of things like uh, mucocytosis and esophagitis and intestinal permeability and um, helps to enhance glutathione levels, and um, which is antioxidants again, and help to lower insulin growth factor one and tumor growth factor beta, two main markers of cancer and tumorigenic activity. You know, so there are a lot of published literature on the role of L-glutamine in a supplemental form um, via it in a parenteral feed or an oral or enteral feed. Um, and these clinical studies really evaluate not only tolerance and safety, but the efficacy of glutamine to benefit the patient during cancer treatment and care. So it's no longer something that I am gun shy about as far as I used to really when I um, was doing, for instance, like our MRT protocol, which is our elimination inflammatory food panel, we put everyone on my GI lining powder at week five of their program. And that's before we test outliers because we're really trying to kind of capitalize on their investment of the elimination diet and seal the tank of their leaky gut before we bring in any outlier influences. Um, but with my cancer patients for years, I would just try to get them to really bring up their bone broth and really bump up things like gelatin. Well, now I feel really safe as I've taken the time to comb through the research to use the GI lining powder because I've seen it used clinically and um, in the cases of cancer and I've only seen documented beneficial outcomes in a human research study, not taking isolated cancer cells. 
Yes. And, and so often we see things like, you know, gastrointestinal cancers that we're right. like, oh, we would love to use glutamine here, but is it safe? So it's, so, it's just so promising to be able to see that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was one of my shifts with, uh, you know, 2017 practice when I, when I delved deeper into the studies and, um, you know, that's going forward. My stance is that glutamine is a great tool and, um, oh goodness, I can't think of his last name in the moment, but Dr. Bob, <laughs> um, who is a consultant for Thorne. Um, he talked at the IFM a couple of years ago and he's, I actually was someone that raised my hand in the audience to ask him that question. And actually I think since 2015, he gave me that confidence I've been okay. And now that I've delved in and read the studies, I'm like double, double. Okay. So, so yeah, the only exception to this is uh, glioblastoma multiforme, which is, you know, the, the type of cancer that could potentially in theory um, be metabolized to promote uh, that, that type of cancer pathology. So I, I do, um, I'm, I would still be conservative in that case, but all other forms of cancer, I, I would still recommend the GI lining powder or an L-glutamine supplement. Awesome. So very promising. Um, so just to wrap things up, let's um, talk about a couple of tools for listeners if they suspect micronutrient deficiencies going on or they want to dig deeper into this area. So yeah, I mean, I hope that the take home with all of this for you guys is that Using micronutrient deficiency trends can be, again, an upstream tool to not only correcting symptoms that you're currently experiencing, but to anticipate and prevent symptoms from occurring in the first place. You know, so I, I, we, we were talking about so many different trends. And I, Becky and I see this daily when we're working with patients in the naturally nourished clinic. You know, a woman comes to me in her mid 50s and she's dealing with insomnia and she's dealing with hair thinning and she's dealing with a new diagnosis of prediabetes and her HDL is coming down and she's chronically fatigued. And, you know, we look at the overlap of all of that and something like biotin, um, it, when brought up to an optimal range in her body can support that and prevent the neuropathy or neurological dysfunction that was waiting on deck to rear its ugly head in two or three or five or six months, right? And so, you know, this is a really cool tool. And when we are looking at it on a clinical level to start with a patient assessment, we like to use the micronutrient test. Um, and this is through SpectraCell and it looks at white blood cell proliferation. So rather than a blood test that looks at what's floating through the blood and that's like a standard serum assessment, the micronutrient test with white blood cell proliferation is looking at what is viable on an intracellular level. So what actually is available to your cells to use as nourishment? And that concept of proliferation, they literally, as morbid as it sounds, allow your cells to die and compare them on a viability level to supplements, to, to excuse me, cells in the supplemental feed. And so they're actually looking at the viability, basically, if your cells had enough of particular nutrients to stay alive. Um, so it's a functional level of assessment. Um, versus a snapshot of what's floating through the blood. And it does look at a more long-term assessment of micronutrient status versus 
being influenced by what you had yesterday or the day before. So I love that as an annual assessment. Again, if you're someone that's made a lot of strides of improvement in your diet and lifestyle and just want kind of an inventory of your body, it's a great way to use a therapeutic protocol of food as medicine and then prioritize the supplements that you are taking that you may no longer need or maybe risking too high levels of and then also reframe and prioritize supplements that you may be needing and overlooking. Yes, I love that. And, and SpectraCell has these awesome resources. I'll link to um, where they're located on our website, but they have a whole bunch of different charts and uh, that go through nutrient deficiency or depletion with certain medications like we talked about. So you can kind of look up your medication, see what's associated. Right. They also have um, these visuals of different conditions and symptoms and all of the nutrient deficiencies that are associated all around them. So you can start to do some of the work at least like highlighting, oh yeah, that's me, that's me. Or you could just run this test and, and get a, a simple printout of, of what For actually sure. would be functionally deficient. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if you're looking for a starting point today, one of the big things I always ask a patient that wants to, you know, I, in my initial consultation, I'm playing detective of the body. So I'm during that time asking questions for the first 60 minutes of the consult to understand structural function of the body, hormonal function, GI function, neurological function, all of the things, right? And so I'm making these maps of what is the Achilles heel of my patient? What are the trends and the root causes of the symptoms that are going on? And if micronutrient uh, assessment is something I want to consider, one of the first questions I ask them is, what multivitamin are you taking and for how long have you been taking it? And I mean, I'm surprised often at how many people aren't taking one. And I really highly recommend starting with a good quality multivitamin that has methylated Bs and chelated or tracks forms of minerals, which are bioavailable. So we're giving potent enough dosages and also ensuring that the delivery form is able to be used actively in its active form by your body. And um, the multi-defense would be a great, this is one of the naturally nourished supplement lines. The multi-defense has also a high ORAC score or antioxidant capacity score from plant-based antioxidants in there. And then it does have bioactive forms of nutrients. And I can't tell you how frustrating it is, even when I look at like whole foods or natural grocers or cooperatives, and there's lines like new chapter and a lot of these um, healthy and natural looking, and you know, they say organic sourced this and that, but they have synthetic folic acid or they have forms of nutrients that are not bioavailable or other really cheapo synthetic forms. So it's really important to, as an insurance policy, have a quality bioavailable micronutrient. And my plug would be the, the multi-defense and we'll put a link to that for sure. Awesome. And then I think the Naturally Nourished Cookbook is also a really good place for to sure. start to know, if you're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, that would be, you know, helping to increase overall nutrient density of the diet and each recipe has a little food as medicine takeaway. So we talk about some of these nutrients and, and the foods and the recipes that are most rich in them. So that would be a good way to just increase um, nutrients in general as well. Absolutely. I think that's a great recommendation too, for sure, Becky. 
Awesome. So hopefully this information, I know there is a lot of it, will allow you guys to empower yourselves with food and supplements if needed to improve your micronutrient status. We will certainly be taking a look at other micronutrients in um, a similar way in future podcasts. So keep tuning in. And in the meantime, check out AllieMillerRD.com for our latest blog posts, recipes, and make sure that you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at AllieMillerRD. And be sure to engage and drop a post and tag us when you're focusing on repleting your deficiency stores um, or applying food as medicine. And if you have a moment and you can go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, it is greatly appreciated, especially if you put in a couple words or sentences of feedback. It's a great way to spread food as medicine with your community and beyond. And the same thing goes on Amazon to leave us a review for the Naturally Nourished Cookbook if you have a copy there. The greatest way that we can share our message is with positive feedback on a public level from listeners like you. So thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I hope you've learned a lot and I hope that you guys can empower yourselves with ways to replete your magnesium, vitamin C, and glutamine deficiencies. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.